Tommy, we've been just chatting about Hebrews, yep. and you've uh, answered all my questions so oh, far. Oh, really? Um, there's another question that comes up when people are reading Hebrews, and it's this mysterious um, character, this mysterious person mentioned, someone that the Old Testament mentions before, but only in one occasion in uh, Genesis 14, mm. I think. Um, and it's Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. So why does the author of Hebrews feel like he need to bring this obscure character into yeah. his argument? Yeah. Yeah. The Melchizedek passage is, is challenging for a number of reasons. It's, I mean, it's long. Um, it's it and it, it's dense, you know, so you've got two problems already, right? It's, it's, it's a lengthy passage. It's not a throwaway kind of reference. He really develops it in an extended exegetically reflective kind of way. And that reflection is dense with material. He's jumping from uh, Genesis, uh, the Genesis passage to Psalm 110, you know, so he's, he's got a lot of things that, uh, that he's covering here. The interesting thing is, and I, this is kind of a principle, hermeneutical principle that I often encourage. When something is, well, I'll put it, I'll put it uh, provocatively. How about um, when something is difficult in Scripture, skip it. <laughs> like at least at first. So you've got this long like, passage. Like a, you just like skip that. <laughs> just skip. Just skip that. Um, you've got this long passage that's really complicated, but and and you are focused in on it. You're focused in on the details. And actually all you can see at this point is just how complex and complicated it is. And often what you actually need to do is zoom out a bit and see why it's there. And when you do that, a lot of the complexity, it doesn't disappear. It's still there, but you've contextualized it in the overall argument. So uh, Hebrews 6, we've uh, 5 and 6, we've got a clear purpose statement there that he's writing to tell us about the deeper things so that we might, uh, uh, starting actually in three through six, the deeper things of the faith so that we might persevere in the wilderness. And then in eight, we have a, now the point in what we are saying is this, okay? So he's telling you exactly why, in the clearest possible terms, the function of Hebrews 7. It is so that we might know that we have such a high priest. Uh, whatever the Melchizedek passage means, its purpose, its function is to establish the kind of high priest that Jesus is so that we might be better equipped to follow him, to draw near to him in the midst of our wilderness wandering. So it's not an apologetic proof that Jesus is the high priest. It's not, a, uh, it's not an obscure kind of speculative reflection or exegesis of the Old Testament for its own sake. Rather, it's an extended tip, typological or metaphorical description of the kind of high priest we have. We have this kind, the Melchizedekian kind of high priest. So even though the details are obscure or apparently obscure, the purpose is very clear. This is the kind of high priest you have, one who is imaged by and foreshadowed by Melchizedek. What does Melchizedek mean? Uh, yeah, no, that that is the key 
question. Okay, why Melchizedek? The name name is is a key question. Thank you, Tommy. I appreciate it. Um, Why why him? What's so important about this guy? Why why is he featured here? It seems like from a Genesis 14 perspective, from Genesis perspective, it seems like a blip on history. You know, we've got a, he gets a paragraph of scripture and in Genesis and disappears, right? Well, no, he reappears in Psalm 110. And I actually think as a, again, as an interpretive principle here, if, if you're seeing Hebrews as a, as a kind of exegesis of Genesis 14, you're going to feel a bit disappointed. You're going to feel like this is a bit allegorical or or overly interpretive. Well, actually, um, I just will actually do, sorry. Well, actually, it's not an exegesis of Genesis 14. It's a it's an exposition of Psalm 110. It's the ex- and he cites this um, what he's specifically referring to in verse 17. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is important more than a blip on in history because Psalm 110 makes him so important. Psalm 110 makes him typologically important. It's like this is what priesthood should be. This is everything to which it it, it's, it should obtain. So then we have this problem of, okay, who is Melchizedek then? Why is he so important? And there's a number of different theories. Uh, one that's really popular, especially when uh, you look at this first section of this passage where the author of Hebrews is saying, you know, he is without father and mother. He is a high priest forever. You know, he's an eternal high priest. Uh, a lot of, especially evangelicals, want to see this as Melchizedek, as a kind of angel of the Lord figure, as a pre-incarnate Christ. And there are a couple of problems with that. Uh, first of all, in Genesis 14, at least, he's not presented as a pre-incarnate Christ or an angel of the Lord. We we have language for that, even in Old Testament uh, language for ascribing that. I don't want to deny the pre-existence of the second person of the Trinity by any stretch or a kind of pre-incarnate Christ idea that Jesus was working in some form or fashion, even in Old Testament times. We have that in Jude. Uh, but we, we but the problem is Melchizedek seems very incarnate. He seems very enfleshed. So it wouldn't be pre-incarnate in that sense. Okay, well, what do we do with the language without father and mother? Well, We've got to remember that actually, from a biblical standpoint, Jesus is not without father and mother. Now, the, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal son, is without father, without um, biological father and mother. But Jesus has a biological mother and an adopted father. And that's very important to his identity and to his role and, and to who he is as the Messiah, um, you know, and the chosen one. So when we see that language without father and mother, I think what that should trigger for us is he's not talking about Jesus or Melchizedek in terms of their uh, human nature, but rather using, using it in some other way. And I think the thing that will make this whole passage kind of click is, we are talking about the kind of priesthood that Melchizedek um, that Melchizedek has. We're not talking about Melchizedek as a person, uh, as an individual, um, but rather... I'll start the whole thing over, because I didn't like that. 
I think that what will make this whole passage click is moving away from thinking about the language of Melchizedek and the language of Jesus as primarily about their person, who they are. <laughs> I think what will make this I think what will make this whole passage click in in one way is to move away from talking about Melchizedek as a person, like who he is as in terms of, you know, his human nature as it were, but rather to think about the focus of Hebrews 7, which we already, which we learned in Hebrews 8, is on his high priestly office, the role that he has. And in this sense, when we focus on Melchizedek's priesthood, the fact that he doesn't have a lineage is extremely odd. He just pops, Genesis 14, he just pops into the scene and he's a high priest of God, probably in Jerusalem, and he has no genealogy. Everybody the seed of faith in Genesis gets a genealogy. And our Old Testament folks here would tell you about the Toledot formulas and how it, Genesis is very concerned to track the seed of the woman in terms of genealogy and this unbroken chain of God's people on the earth until we get to Israel. And then Israel is very intent on tracking that too, especially in terms of kingship and, of course, high priesthood. Every Levitical high priest is such, Hebrews 7 at the end of the at the end of the chapter, is such by law. They have a genealogy that establishes in accordance with Mosaic law that they belong, that they are a high uh, that they are a priest or a high priest. Melchizedek pops on the scene, priest of God most high, no genealogy. He is without literary father or mother. I think he has an actual father and mother. But in terms of his office, it is not given to him on the merits of his father and mother. So on what merits does he have it? He has it on the merits of God made an oath. The oath being, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. That's what accredits Melchizedek's priesthood, is that he is directly appointed by the father to exercise this priesthood forever. And likewise, Melchizedek is a shadow. Jesus is is the real thing. Melchizedek is um, image an image of what Jesus will be. Um, Jesus then is the true Melchizedekian priest who is appointed directly by the Father to be the son priest over his people. That's great, Tommy. Um, and I want to correct myself. I did. Uh, I said that um, Melchizedek was mentioned only in Genesis 14. Of course, he's mentioned in Psalm 110, uh, the most quoted psalm. In, right. uh, in Although the New this Testament, section so. isn't quoted, you know, it's it's yes. it's a forgivable mistake because this section doesn't get quoted a lot. It's the other it's the other bit. Thank you, Tommy. You're the best professor. Ever. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, but so okay, so there's there's also something interesting about the name uh, right. of Melchizedek. So can you speak to that? Yeah, you know Hebrews seven etymologizes on the name that he is, you know, Melech Zedek, king of righteousness. He's also the the area in which he's king is king in Salem, um, and then we etymologize on Salem, Shalom, peace. So he's king of righteousness and king of peace, like unto Christ, uh, So who's king of righteousness and king of peace. 
It's in, this is interesting because it's precisely for this reason. In in addition to the kind of cameo appearance of Melchizedek in Genesis fourteen, and then the extended reflection that we get on Psalm one ten, it's it's his name that makes him an, a subject of curiosity even during the Second Temple period. That we'll get other sort of perspectives on uh, his name. It's interesting. So uh, Jews in the Second Temple period have a lot of literature about Melchizedek. And Salem uh, is, they they note that it's also short for Jerusalem. Uh, so he's king in Jerusalem. He's a priest king in Jerusalem before there's a Jerusalem. So that's really interesting. You know, that's interesting. From a lot of levels, what's Jerusalem like at this time? Why is there a priest of God most high there? Um, and then how can you have a priest king? This is another thing that makes Melchizedek very unique and very different and superior to the Levitical priests, the Levitical priests are forbidden from being uh, kings. They can't serve in that way. And so there's a division and, and vice versa. Kings can't be priests. So here we have a priest king and the, the, his office must be as priest, as king must be somehow different and even maybe superior to the Levitical priesthood. The other thing you'll see associated with this, this kind of priest king idea is in the Qumran literature, it, Melchizedek becomes a kind of mess, messianic figure, um, one who is going to destroy the Katim. He comes with lightning bolts, um, destroying their ships. And uh, so he, he's this heroic figure who will come, who will be sent by God at the end of the ages to, to bring justice and bring mercy as a kind of priest king for, for Israel. So this is not the first spot uh, in history where we see some material, some reflection on the importance of, of Melchizedek. What Hebrews does, of course, is make, make Melchizedek uh, not a promised eschatological figure, but a type, a foreshadowing. Uh, he is like unto the Messiah insofar as the Messiah will be a priest forever by word of the oath and thus bring about an eternal and perfect priestly work for the people of God. So I'm sitting here with Dr. Keen. I'm sitting here with. <laughs> you well, you do whatever yeah, you're yeah. comfortable with. Uh, it's so much easier to be an editor than to be a participant in yeah. the in this podcast. Yeah. Um, 